Uh, so when Phil asked me to do a Christmas message, I was a little bit hesitant because I feel like the Christmas story's been done, right? There's nothing new to say about Christmas, right? Um, but I decided I was going to reread the Christmas story and I prayed that God would give me a fresh revelation and that I wouldn't stand up here saying the same thing you've all heard before. So today, funnily enough, we're actually going to be focusing on exactly what you heard last week. Um, Luke, <laughs> Luke uh, chapter 1, verse 26 to 38. So we're going to start by just reading those. It says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And then Mary asks a question that I think is quite reasonable at this point. I think it's quite fair to say, how will this be since I am a virgin? Right? I feel like that's pretty a fair question. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be called will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Most of us would have heard that story before, if not literally last week. Um, and I know that I've not only read it a million times myself, but I've also heard a million sermons on it and about the great uh, faithfulness of Mary to say yes to the call or this incredible moment to the foretelling of the birth of Jesus. And I'm not going to stand up here and say that those things aren't true or valid. But as I was reading these verses the other day, something else jumped out at me that I'd never really thought about in regards to this story or as Christmas or Christmas as a whole. In verse 37, we read that no word from God will ever fail. And it hit me that the foretelling of Jesus and then his birth and then his life is living proof that God is a God that keeps his promises. It got me thinking about promises in the Bible and promises that God has given me. Now, I want to suggest here that often promises go by a different name in the Bible. We often read them as prophecies. Now, there are times when these two things are different, but often in the life of Jesus, they're the same. Now, there were a lot of prophecies about the coming Messiah that Jesus would ultimately fulfill. In fact, he fulfilled over 300 of them, with some theologians believing that he fulfilled as many as 574. That is a lot of prophecies or promises that God kept. Now, people much smarter than me have worked out the odds of someone fulfilling only eight of these prophecies, and that is one in this number. I don't even know what, like, what is that? 
It's a lot, right? It's 10 followed by 16 zeros, okay? And then the odds of someone fulfilling 48 of these prophecies is 1 in 10 followed by 157 zeros. That number was too big for the screen. But how crazy is it that Jesus fulfilled over 300 of these prophecies? 300 is the minimum that he fulfilled. And if I was much smarter than I am, then I would have tried to work out those odds in some crazy long number with some crazy amount of zeros after it. But I thought I'd leave that to the people that know what they're doing. But we cannot dispute the fact that Jesus fulfilling as many prophecies as he did is not is living proof that God keeps his promises. I don't know what you're going through this Christmas season, but I want to tell you that no word from God will ever fail. He's not done with you yet. There is still good to come and he will keep his promises. I want to dive a little into just a couple of the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled and the promises that God kept. The first one we're going to talk about is proof that God keeps the small promises. One of the prophecies is that the Messiah will have no bones broken. Now here God is saying, I promise to you that your Messiah will never break a bone. Now I've broken eight bones in my life, so that automatically counts me out. But also... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> also, if I was the prophet writing this one down, I would probably have to question God a little bit. Not only because based on my track record, it's incredibly easy to break a bone, but also because it seems so tiny, so minuscule in the grand scheme of the Messiah. Right, we're talking about the Messiah and you find it necessary to write down his future medical history? I probably would have been like, Nisha, good. anything else, you know, literally anything else, you got anything at all. But we then see in the story of Jesus' crucifixion that boy, was that a big promise that God kept. Something that you may or may not know is that when people were crucified, it often took days for them to die. And in order to speed that process along, the soldiers would break the legs of those hanging there so that they couldn't push themselves up to breathe and they would ultimately suffocate. However, we read that Jesus died in about six hours, so his legs didn't need to be broken. Now, I don't know if you're following my train of thought here, but this is sounding like a promise being kept right now. Some people think that Jesus was tortured so much beforehand that his, and that's why he died so quickly. Others believe that the weight and burden of all human sin was too much for his body to take. Both of those points hold merit. And they're not wrong, but I'd like to think that even in his darkest moment, even while he couldn't look, God was keeping his promises. So to me, what seemed like such a small prophecy turned into a huge promise. What seemed insignificant would turn out to hold great importance. So this morning, can this promise remind you of your small promises? Maybe God promised you something that seemed small and insignificant. You thought to yourself, was that really worth mentioning? Or maybe it was so small you've forgotten about it altogether. I want to encourage you to pray and to hold on to that promise. Now, I don't know what promises God's given each of you, but this Christmas, I want to remind you that no word from God will ever fail, and He cares about the small 
He cares about the insignificant. In fact, Phil preached a couple of weeks ago on the shepherds and how they were the ordinary, everyday, insignificant people, but God chose them to be the first to know about Jesus. Now, if you've ever heard me preach before, then you know I can't get through it without quoting a song. But instead of me just quoting it today, we're actually going to listen to the whole song. Thanks, team. You could have stepped into creation with fire for all to see. Brought every tribe and nation to their knees Arriving with a host of heaven In royal robe and crown The rulers of the earth all bounding down But you chose meekness over majesty Wrapped your power in humanity
I love that song. So that's a song called Manger Throne by Phil Wickham. And I love the lyrics that say, You could have marched in all your glory into the heart of Rome, showed them splendor like they'd never known. But you wrote a better story in humble Bethlehem, creator in the arms of common men. And as you heard, it then goes on to call Jesus the king who reigns from a manger throne. The manger is a feeding trough. Here it goes again. No, sorry. (laughs) The manger is a feeding trough for the barn animals, but that is where the Messiah was placed. God had the power to send the Messiah wrapped in full robes to take over the kings and empires, but instead he chose to send him wrapped in cloth and laid in a feeding trough. You want to talk about small and insignificant, this is it. What the world saw as just another baby, we now see as the Son of God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Prince of peace, the one who would die for our redemption, the one who caused us to be able to even be here today. All from a feeding trough, all from a manger throne. God hasn't forgotten your small promises. There is still good to come. Can you please hold on to hope for the small this Christmas? We also then get other prophecies that are a little different to that one, and they are proof that God keeps the big promises. In Isaiah 7 verse 14, we're told that the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. God here is promising that the Messiah will be born of a virgin. Now, if I was writing this down, probably would have questioned God again. Not because it seemed small and insignificant, but because it seemed literally impossible, right? A virgin giving birth defies all science and all logic. Now, I love and I trust God so much, but if he told me that, I probably would have thought he was joking, right? If I'm being honest, I would have thought he was joking. See, one of the other prophecies, similar to this one, is that the Messiah would be born of a woman. In my brain, that makes sense, right? That makes scientific sense. That checks out. But then you add on the virgin part and all of a sudden you lost me, right? I was following with the woman and then you added the virgin. Nah, nah, it doesn't make sense. Now I'm sure I don't need to say why a virgin giving birth doesn't make sense and defies all science. I think we all know why. But (laughs) then in this story in Luke, right, that we just read, we can see God keeping his promise even though it doesn't make sense, It seemed impossible. It defied all science. It defied all logic. But God is keeping his promise. Even Mary questions it. But God is keeping his promise. Where we read an unobtainable prophecy, God keeps an incredible promise. And again, I don't know what promises God has given you, but maybe you're sitting there with a huge promise with a promise that seems impossible, unobtainable. Maybe it defies logic. Maybe it defies science. And you've been left feeling a little hopeless that God won't keep this promise. I want to tell you that the birth of Jesus says otherwise. The birth of Jesus is proof that God keeps the big promises. He not only cares about the small, but he is there for the big. God doesn't give you a promise and then lay in bed at night wondering, was that too big? Oh, how am I going to do that? Right? He's not up there worrying and overthinking everything. Believe me, he had the solution before you even had the promise. 
Can I encourage you to hold on to hope for the big this Christmas? And in case you thought I was only going to quote one song, here's another. <laughs> I do apologise to Sam. These slides are slightly out of order. Skip to the song lyric, please. There's a song by Elevation called More Than Able, and it starts off by saying this. When did I start to forget all of the great things you did? When did I throw away faith for the impossible? How did I start to believe you weren't sufficient for me? Why do I talk myself out of seeing miracles? And this song, it really hits me every time I listen to it because it makes me think of all the promises that God is wanting to fulfill, but I'm refusing to let him or all the promises he has fulfilled and I'm refusing to see. Maybe I'm the only one that thinks this way, but when the promise seems too big, I talk myself out of believing it will happen and I lose my expectancy. So can I encourage you this Christmas to stay expectant? I was at a small group last week and we got onto the topic of patience. We were asked whether we had patience for circumstances or for people. I said I'll often have more patience for circumstances because I use up all of my patience for people at work or at oxygen. But <laughs> but then the topic changed a little bit. <laughs> That's the oxygen parents that are laughing the hardest. I love that. Um, <laughs> then the topic changed a little bit. And um, I talked about having patience for promises. I told the group that I was preaching on promises in a couple of weeks and I was struggling to write the sermon because I felt like a hypocrite. I really felt God telling me to preach on promises, but how could I stand up here and tell you guys to have hope when I had already lost my hope for the promise I've been waiting 10 years for? The leader then asked me, even though you've been patient in your waiting, are you still expectant? And I thought for a few seconds and I said that I didn't know and if I was still expectant and if I didn't know then I probably wasn't. I realised that I didn't want to write this sermon because I'd already lost hope for the big. I'd already lost my expectancy that God would keep his promise. Now I would love to stand up here and say that in the last two weeks that promise has been fulfilled. That would be amazing but it hasn't. I'm still waiting on the promise but now I'm not a hypocrite up here because I have my expectancy back. I'm not being, I'm not just being patient, I'm expectant. And at small group that night, I thought, you can't preach on promises without preaching on patience. And while that is slightly true, I think the whole truth is that you can't preach on promises without preaching on expectancy. You know how people say that if you look for it, you'll find it. Or once you start thinking about something, you'll see it everywhere, right? Like how when you're looking at buying a new car or you've just bought a new car, you then see that car everywhere. And it's not just because the market has suddenly been flooded with that car, but it's because you're more aware of it. You've spent time thinking about it, so it's more obvious when you do see it. And I think it's the same with being expectant for promises, when you start thinking about it, or even better, when you start praying about it, you'll see more of it. Even though my promise hasn't been fulfilled yet, since I prayed with my small group last week and continue to pray by myself, I have seen things happen. Small things that I think before I probably would have missed, but I got my expectancy back, which meant I was able to see the small things that God was doing that will ultimately lead to the big promise being fulfilled. Believe me, I know that the waiting sucks. 
and it would be great if God would work on our timeline instead of his. But the waiting sucks a lot less when you are wholeheartedly expectant for God to move and believe that he will keep his promises. No word from God will ever fail, so hold on to expectancy this Christmas. Now, I'd love to tell you that as long as you're expectant, then God will fulfill the promise. But that's not always the case. Sometimes it is, and those times are great. But after going to small group again this week, we love small group, don't we? I was reminded of something else. We need to remain expectant, but at the same time, we need to remain obedient. Hmm. No, yes, amens to that one, right? (laughs) While I was at graduation uh, last week, one of the other interns told me that she felt God was telling me to do something that was a part of my promise. And I basically told her, thank you so much, but I'll take it from here. Um, I won't be doing that. Um, It was something that was too scary. It was too vulnerable. And it was just outright awkward. And I really didn't want to do it. So I kind of just ignored it. (laughs) Now, I don't know about you, but when you've been talking to someone about something or encouraging them with God's word, God likes to test you on it, yeah? So for me, the last couple of weeks, I've been preparing this message on promises and obedience. So God has done just that, and he's been testing me on promises and obedience. Um, He didn't let me just ignore what my friend had said. The same thing was then brought up at small group, and the leader told me the exact same thing that the other intern had. Now, I really didn't want to be a hypocrite up here this morning, so how could I preach on obedience without being obedient myself first? So I decided that even if it was scary, even if it was vulnerable, even if it was awkward, I was going to do it. And I did, yay. Um, It went horribly. I hated every second of it, and it kind of blew up in my face, if I'm being honest. And I found myself questioning God and saying, why would you make me do this if you knew it was going to end this way? Why would you test my obedience if it was going to end badly? And although I don't have a concrete answer to that question, I was reminded of times in the Bible that obedience didn't look good. Obedience in the Bible looked like giving birth in a barn. Obedience in a Bible looked like nearly sacrificing your son. Obedience in the Bible looked like getting sold into slavery by your brothers. Obedience in the Bible looked like dying on a cross. Obedience for me this week has looked like crying in the shower. Obedience for me this week has looked like crying in my car on my lunch break at work. Obedience for me has looked like staying up late in the lounge and crying to my flatmates. Obedience for me has been multiple people messaging, asking how my obedience went and having daily reminders that it went badly. Maybe obedience for you looks like leaving your job. Maybe obedience for you looks like moving cities. Maybe obedience for you looks like ending the relationship that you know isn't godly. Maybe obedience for you looks like joining or starting that ministry that you said you would never be a part of. Now you're all probably thinking, Chrissy, you're not really selling this whole obedience thing, (laughs) right? But I want to remind you that obedience in the Bible also looked like parting the Red Sea. Obedience in the Bible also looked like having a baby when you were too old. Obedience in the Bible also looks like calling life out of dry bones. Obedience in the Bible also looks like the salvation of all humanity. 
Obedience for me also looks like getting opportunities like this because I was never given the chance where I was. Obedience for me also looks like making new great friends in a new city. Obedience for me looks like being able to run a youth group again. Obedience for me also looks like living in the same city as one of my best friends for the first time since high school. Maybe obedience for you will look like a promotion at work. Maybe obedience for you will look like a relationship restored. Maybe obedience for you will look like blessings for your family. Maybe obedience for you will look like promises fulfilled. Believe me, after the week I've had, I know that being obedient is not always easy and sometimes you feel like an idiot for even trying. But God has a way of turning things around for good even when we can't see how that's possible. No word from God will ever fail, so hold on to hope that your obedience won't fail you either.